0: Okay, so we begin our afternoon part of the program. And uh, I'll say a few words. I'll to say a few words, and I'll pass it over to the lay people, and uh, have time to. I think one of the things, as I mentioned in the morning, is this thing. the opportunity for, um, reflecting on, you know, reflecting on community in terms of, whole. home, uh, how is that, you know, what do we make as a whole, uh, and creating the, uh, um, the kind of yeah, emotional landscape of our, uh spiritual practice and our <coughs> spiritual friendships as a basis for for what we call what we call home um, and and that it you know, ties in with uh, you know thinking of Ajahn Chah and him saying that they like the, the because people would ask him, you know, how can you teach Westerners? They don't, they don't understand Thai, and you can't speak English, you know, how can you teach them? And the Chanchai said, well, the, the Dhamma isn't about say, an external language, Dhamma is a, the language of feeling. And so that that creating a, a feeling <coughs> that translates into like, a refuge, a home, a place of connection and safety. And so that, that's this that's what, what, what sort of Dhamma is, you when know, practice Dhamma and the community that we that we uh, cultivate and draw close to. Uh, so that that, uh, that paying attention to that to that aspect of, of feeling of, of emotion and uh, <clears throat> that when we um, of course that requires effort on our part in terms of yeah. our our own uh, drawing close to our principles of sharing of generosity, of giving and, and giving of ourselves and giving of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of time um, and uh, attention. Uh, those are aspects of giving isn't just about material things or monetary things. Being able to and give of our time to be able to um, share yeah, uh, yeah, our time, our attention with others. And and then the, you know, the sense of of you know, yeah kind of safety a safe space or a secure space uh, so, and so that's where the, the precepts are are really about what we live by precepts uh, there is a <clears throat> uh, there is a feeling of, yeah, of safety, of security that is created. So, that, say, as a Dhamma center that is committed to uh, living by uh, precepts and principles, uh, then it, it, it creates a, a place of safety, of refuge. Uh, so that just to recognize that that that's, you know, we tend to look at yeah, some kind of continuity, some kind of physical security and you know, some kind of certainty as we were saying and, and, but that uh, the, the more one reflects and reflects and recognizes yeah well, everything's uncertain but, Within that uncertainty, we can be <coughs> committed to uh, to virtue and integrity, and that's a refuge for ourselves and it's a refuge for others. And so that creating that space for ourselves, creating that space for for, for others, uh, is a real as a real gift, uh, <coughs> and that's uh, and it's actually one of the things that. Say the Buddha talks about um, the way he frames it of of the five great gifts,
1: Mahadana. You think about these great gifts, great giving. And of course,
0: people get really excited and what are these great gifts? And say, well, not killing, not stealing. (laughs) (laughs) The five precepts, that's the great gift. That because that, that. it gives the gift of security, gives the gift of compassion, it gives the, the gift of, uh, of trust, uh, and that's an incredible gift. And yeah, that to be able to, and building a community around those those principles is really, really important. Because you know? oftentimes, what we do is, uh and, and, and not wrongly, but oftentimes we, we worry about our meditation. My meditations, are, uh, just, and we get frustrated because we're not quite as mindful as we would like to be. We're not quite as peaceful as we were hoping to be. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, it is important to pay attention to the meditation. But you know, that meditation has to be built on solid. Foundation and that, that foundation of sila of virtue of integrity of really those skillful qualities of giving and sharing and, and being generous and kind those are those are just so important or just being you know, not selfish and then you find you know the when we start listening to our minds and listening to our inner dialogue, listening to ourselves, it gets so tedious. <laughs> <laughs> will, will you give me a break for me? <laughs> as not to look on it as in a version it's to look on it oh, is not that weird <laughs> and and then we can okay we can loosen that grip and let go mm-hmm. that, that aspect of yeah of not not uh, getting caught up in that self self agenda and that mean the, the I. And so the, the Buddha says you know, that the, the core of the problem in human existence is this. Um, in Pali, the ahankara mamankara mana no this is this, this. The eye making, the mind making, the underlying tendency to, to self, or to conce- I mean, literally conceive, but it, more, it means more like the that. self that's always comparing. Self, others, all that. Because the I is not, and that's the beauty of the Buddha's insight. is It's not a a, a sort of indivis- indivisible, self-existent phenomenon. It has to be made. It has to be created. It has to be propped up. The I making, the mind making that whole. You know, and the whole dialogue of mine, but it's mine. <laughs> it's, we have to make it, have to create it, have to construct it because uh, it, uh, it doesn't stand up on its own at all. Of course, we're pretty committed to keeping it brought up and it's very tiring, but it's it's uh, when it's seen clearly, it's like, oh, I can just, just be present with what is, rather than <laughs> devoting my attention and energy to this this I, me, and my program. It's, oh, what a relief! And so that, that's that, these are aspects of Dhamma that need to work together, and that's why it's so important to have community, and, and sometimes community is messy, sometimes community is frustrating. Uh, and but in the end, the community is, is a real gift to oneself and gift to others. So that uh, is to encourage important trends and all of you to you know, be willing to work together, be willing to support each other, be willing to support others that have have, have any kind of interest. And you uh, realize that, that what you're doing is really, really beneficial. So, just offer that as a reflection today. Today is a, a day of, of uh, you know, coming together as a, kind of a benefit for, for the whole uh, <coughs> sort of default community and for the moving into the future. And uh, invite uh, the guests. Uh, So don't tell me, can you say a few words?
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Just listening to Limpour now and also just kind of reflecting uh, on the occasion and being here today. Just kind of just reviewing my my life and my connection to um, this place, this tradition, and the place how this place kind of sits within, um, not just our tradition, but maybe a larger arc of, um, people, uh, in these times taking interest in Theravadan teachings. It was about a little over 30 years ago that I first encountered, uh, Eastern spirituality and Buddhism. and one of the things about dressing the way we do and having hairstyles that we have is you're, you've committed yourself to being approached and asked for the rest of your life. How'd you end up like that? <laughs> <laughs> and you get lots of practice, lots of practice how to answer it. And I think by the time you've been a monk for a couple years, you realize, you know, the rest of my life, I'm going to have <laughs> Sometimes people, people are very polite and a bit tentative, like, I'm really sorry to ask, but uh, I just have to ask. You know? And then other times people are like, what's with that? <laughs> get up. Um, So it's like it's hardly a week or a month goes by where you don't get practice flashing back over your life and asking yourself the same question, how did we end up here? Um, and, uh, you know, as I get older, uh, the kind of depth of gratitude that I have for how things have played out seems to grow. Um, I speak with somebody recently, just trying to give them a bit of context. Um, like it was impossible to find anything about Theravada Buddhism 30-some years ago when I first got interested in Eastern spirituality. Um, I guess the internet existed, but it wasn't very accessible to most people outside of a few academic settings. Um, well, libraries didn't have any display on Theravada Buddhism. The bookstores didn't have any books. Um, and I'd heard of Buddhism, but like the only stuff I could really find was some fairly obtuse and obtuse to me uh, in dusty sort of volumes of about Zen Buddhism or uh, there was a little bit about Tibetan Buddhism starting to kind of percolate into the market at that time and um, none of it seemed all that uh, comprehensible or even interesting to me at the time Uh, and it was only I was aware of the, the life story of the Buddha, but it was only kind of after kind of going to India and encountering some Theravadin monks there that I kind of connected with the Theravadin teachings. Um, and sort of uh, flash forward, um, I was able to find my way to Wat uh, when Mungkor uh, Pasno was still the abbot there, and. Uh, i kind of forgot about this until I was talking about it just recently, but we didn't even have a full translation of like the major parts of the Sutta in the library yeah. at one on a chat when I was there in the early 90s. <clears throat> uh, in particular, I remember was, like the Majjhima we didn't have full thing, the uh, Dutra Nikaya.
0: I only just uh, found the uh, uh, Kandipalos.
1: Yeah. That, that was the only thing. It was a a Yeah,
0: a third, a half, or a little bit more than
1: half. Yeah, yeah. Um, (coughs) It's just kind of comparing that to now, where we have not just the whole of all the major collections, but like them translated and publicly available in ebook form, audiobook form, available through libraries, available in bookstores everywhere, uh, in a kind of modern, up to date language, Um, and. uh, There was no uh, monasteries, especially monasteries of uh, this tradition, or Theravada monasteries mm-hmm. of, the, of the contemplative forest-dwelling kind of nature at that time. Um, and, uh, and I ended up ordaining in, in Thailand, and it was a bit of a dream to find what I found there. Uh, it seemed almost too good to be true. and. Uh, didn't ever think that something like this could exist in Portland, <laughs> so close to where I was born and raised, um, let alone that it could kind of flourish and there'd be like a community of lay practitioners and that so many um, great monks and nuns and people dedicating their, their whole life to studying, practicing, Theravada teachings could have the invitation, or the good reason, or the opportunity to come through and share teachings um, with people in this part of the world. Um, And I especially didn't expect I'd come back to the Northwest (laughs) (laughs) as a monk uh, and be able to sort of um, live outside of White Salmon and walk alms around every day. And just, I remember at the time of starting the Hermitage having this really profound sort of sense of, like, all the goodness that has come before to sort of support, like, those things happening, um, both within our song and also just more broadly. People translating words, people publishing works, people <clears throat> going to Asia and trying to find teachers and trying to sort it out bringing those teachings back, trying to share them to the best of their ability. And I um, say like the English Sangha Trust in England, I mean, they, they went for decades and decades, sort of nurturing their fascination with this wonderful Oriental teaching. Um, and then at some point they kind of realized, you know, we really need um, to start a project to foster an indigenous Buddhist Sangha to sort of deepen sort of the connection to the practice and take it out of the realm of interesting ideas to like something that actually is practice and can be applied to people's lives and make it make a really profound difference in people's lives and they got through i don't remember how many years but decades of struggles <laughs> trying to get a monastery kind of going and it wasn't really until um they were kind of guided to query Ajahn Cha, and Ajahn Chah asked Ajahn Sameda to stay over and help with their efforts, that something really took root. There's kind of a venerable place or a, a important sort of part of that story, which is like the kind of courage and the commitment that it took somebody to sort of stick it out. Like, Ajahn Sumedho has talked a lot about the difficulties of being in England for the first few years. And, um, he just wanted to go back to Thailand <laughs> many, many times. Um, but he, he had faith that, that what his teacher asked him to do was uh, important to sort of see through, and like through kind of, um, putting up with the, the difficulties or something Laying a stake in the ground <laughs> and doing his best, like soon after like other people are able to sort of connect with the tradition and ordain and sort of build upon that and like, and that's, there's, there's a whole kind of sequence of events that flowed forward from that. And in the end, he was kind of the main force behind building a whole network of nine monasteries. Uh, there's kind of some monasteries that start from that. and. Part of that story is this center, yeah. Part of the that story is Segula um, and a few other people in Portland who kind of put their stake in the ground and kind of stuck through it through all these years. Um, and my kind of early, my sort of early story of the difficulty of discovery would have been <laughs> greatly sort of solved if there was a sign, a place, a book, or something like this. And and sometimes we can kind of lose sight of just um, how long it takes to sort of like build these kind of doors to the Dhamma or these kind of opportunities for people in this day and age and people kind of going forward to sort of um, connect with these teachings that have been so so pricelessly valuable to people for a couple millennia. Um, and uh, one of the things that's sustained me, sort of being a part of this tradition over the years, is like there's a lot of interest in Buddhism, but there's not very many being healthy sort of sanghas. And um, it's kind of dumb luck that I found my my way to Wat Chat. There's a lot of other monasteries I could have ended up in in Thailand, and. Um, I just happened to sort of connect with one that had very good standards and was very much kind of dedicated to building sangha. And, um, and not just for for monks, but for men, for women, for monastics, for lay people. And like from the first day I arrived at Wat Nanachat, there was, it was an uh, observance day. So like the whole fourfold sangha was there. And I remember how kind of impressed I was that, uh, there was such a rich, flourishing lay practice, um, alive sort of in Ajahn Chah's monasteries. It's something I hadn't encountered before going to sort of Watanan Chah. And, um, it's something that the monasteries we built in the West have you kind know, of put a lot of effort into sort of trying to nurture and, uh, It's somewhat surprising, but there's not many centers like this. There's lots of lay groups and there's lots of people all over the world affiliated with our monasteries, but um, there's not many uh, places where the can come back together to sort of uh, build a sort of long-term, durable sort of facility and community um, that functions like as a center for practice or a home. Um, for the lay sangha, and uh, and that's known sort of far and wide to sort of other sort of Buddhists all over the world and other monks all over the world. So, and to keep something like that kind of going, it takes um, commitment, but also sort of self sacrifice. And part of the reason why there isn't more centers, uh, and there isn't. Uh, more flourishing song is both lay and monastic, is because so often people are um, just following their preferences. It's not a you know, relationship. Community requires self-sacrifice, self-relinquishment, and, and kind of commitment. And uh, it seems those qua- those qualities kind of seem undervalued um, in modernity. And because of it, and maybe our mistrust for institutions, people are overlooking kind of the deeper value of dedicating themselves to those qualities of commitment, self relinquishment, and trying to sort of build something both for the present and also contribute to this kind of effort to build something for future generations, for those yet to come. And there's, there was a few times in my monastic life where I, you know, just sort of said, ah, uh, what am I going to do next? You know, it's like, do I want to keep living in a area? Do I want to keep living in these big monasteries? And there's times I was tempted to kind of go off and do my own thing. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things that kept me from doing that was just this kind of recognition that these are good people and they're engaged in, a kind of rare effort um, that few other people are taking up and um, having been kind of given uh, so much in my early opportunities to ordain and train in Thailand in this community um, it seems like the least I can do to um, set aside my own sort of preferences and efforts to kind of uh, nurture monastic and lay sangha for the present, for the future, and not as some sort of grand self-sacrifice. I also don't sort of trust my, <laughs> my preferences. You know, when you look back to sort of like where that usually leads you, it's usually like short-term pleasure and not a long terms sort of happiness and well-being. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, increasingly, as I move through middle age, <laughs> I have a deepening sort of sense of, of gratitude for uh, having made that choice and to continue to, to make that choice. So, and, uh, on this occasion, just share that sort of with everybody uh, to reflect on and uh, encourage you all to sort of about what your role is, both today and going forward, and, uh, and also maybe just to celebrate and highlight sort of um, the uniqueness and the unique opportunity of like having uh, not just a community here in Portland sort of connected to this venerable tradition, uh, but, uh, but a center actually. Yeah. So there's a lot of importance to having a stake in the ground a sign, a building, a place, and for it existing for a long time. Yeah. Like if Wat Chat hadn't existed for 20 years before I came to Thailand, I probably wouldn't have been able to find it, you know. Um, and often start of saying there wasn't any forest monastic places when I first got interested in Buddhism, but that's actually not true. Many years later, I found out Bhante Ji had already started his monastery in West Virginia, but like almost nobody knew about it. It was new. Was in the hills of West Virginia. If you weren't Sri Lankan, you probably never heard of it. <laughs> uh, so, and that's like part of the value of like uh, doing the hard work of building a place and and maintaining it, keeping it sort of a, a flourishing and open place for people to practice. And I think think of our parent monasteries are the main monasteries that we've built as playing much of that sort of same. Amritvati, Vajiriy, Wat Phra the fact that they're well-known, long-established kind of places um, really opens the opportunity for uh, a much broader sort of swath of the of the planet or the populace to sort of find their way to uh, to these teachings <coughs> should they be interested.